Welcome to another edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. I'm Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier, joined by Mike Carmen from the Journal and Courier. As we uh, have a rare week in the summer where basketball and football overlap, this is usually like November fodder for us, or maybe like a little bit of spring fodder for us. But here we are in late June, and and some big news stories are developing on on both the the basketball and football beats around Purdue. And obviously, like a lot of you who are listening to this, I was up watching ESPN for four hours straight, which I hadn't done in a long time, even for maybe the last time I had to watch a baseball game on ESPN that I watched four hours of ESPN straight, because usually it's just people screaming at each other and not saying a whole lot. But um, Kind of like this podcast. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> we try to keep them under four hours. We try to keep them like a solid three, three and a half if, if we can. But um, Carson Edwards, we didn't know where he was going to get drafted. We'd seen you know, the mock drafts, whatever value you want to put in those. We'd seen him up in the low teens on some of those. We'd seen some that had him in the low 30s, and he ended up going 33rd to – Technically to Philadelphia, but that pick has already been traded to Boston, even though that's not finalized. The I don't think the Celtics, even if it had, the Celtics are already talking as if it's finalized, and we're talking about it pretty much immediately as if it's finalized. So he is a Boston Celtic now. That's where he'll begin his pro career. And I know Purdue fans, uh, some of them were, were a little bit put off that he didn't get drafted in the first round, but it's 30th, the difference between 30th and 33rd. Not a huge deal, and it seems like he might be in a, a good opportunity. It's a place that knows how to win. That's not even just historically, but recently they've been winning games. You've got a smart coach there, and there's an opportunity there from a playing time standpoint, I think regardless of what happens in free agency with a couple of their guys. Yeah, it seems like Boston has become uh, Hoosier East. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> with uh, Brad Stevens, Gordon Hayward, they drafted – Romeo Langford last night with what the fourteenth pick, and then uh, somehow ended up with uh, with Carson Edwards. So uh, my, the green is now I Indiana <laughs> out there, and but you're right, he's with a smart coach. Is what would appear to be a smart organization, uh, a rabid fan base that loves its 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 pro sports teams. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question about that, and probably a fan base that will. Um, will come to to like Carson Edwards because of the volume shooting that he can do and mm-hmm. the the ooze 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 and oz plays that he can that he can potentially produce. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's all about the right fit. Doesn't really matter now. There's probably some financial ramifications between not being picked thirtieth and picked being thirty third. But there will be some. It, it's it can still you can still get a guaranteed contract that's not. To, I mean, A.J. Hammonds, and he was a senior, too, so he was even older, um, less projectable, I think, at his age. But he And he was like a 42nd overall pick, I want to say, to Dallas. It's been four years ago now, but still got a, a three-year deal or multi-year deal with the, of, of decent value. Um, so it's not like you're in financial ruin, the difference between 30th and 31st. Um, you, you know, Now, they drafted some other guards. There's some other guys in the mix here. Does it mean he immediately goes onto a roster and gets to play right away without having to do some G League time? I don't know that. I think some of that will get maybe more settled here as we see what happens in free agency and as we see what happens in the summer league in the, yeah. in the weeks ahead. Yeah, just how active now is Boston in free agency, and then how does he play when he gets – You know, I assume he'll be part of that summer league group um, along with others. 
to, to kind of see where he fits, but it's all about the fit. It's all about what Boston's vision is for you and how you fit into their role. And he, yeah, you're right. He may have to go to the G league for a little bit. He may have to, you know, just kind of bite his time before getting on an actual roster. But, you know, he's a kid. I think that, okay, I got the opportunity. Let's go. And, you know, I think that's how he'll approach it. And it's now, he can still have fun playing basketball. These guys can still have fun playing basketball, but it is more of a business now. It's more of a, you know, your performance definitely does matter and how you handle your business away from the court and on the court is, is extremely important. And, you know, and I think, I think he'll do well. I just think he's, he's got the right makeup to do well. And he's going to be a guy that's going to push people at his position, but also be a guy that if he gets in a, some sort of rotation that it's going to be hard to get him out of it. And, you know, that may take a little bit here in his first season, but I just, that's kind of how I view him. And, you know, I think he's, he's probably a guy that will be in the league, out of the league, in the league, out of the league a little bit early on, but then probably will settle into something as his career gets a little bit deeper. Yeah. The one thing I don't worry about with him is the off court stuff and his his dedication and his right. oh, yeah. the, the 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 way he's going to you know throw himself into this i i don't have any any hesitation about any of that this is a guy who who takes basketball really seriously who takes getting his work done really seriously and i think that's probably only going to increase now that you put him in a environment where there's you know 15 other guys or whatever and they are all of the same mindset and they all want your job or some of them do some of them are are more secure but like you know this is it's a it's a more cutthroat situation I think it's gonna be interesting to see how he responds to that but he you know every indication here from watching him over the past three years is that he's gonna be the he's gonna have the professional mindset necessary because he's already had some of that and he saw some good examples of it whether that was um you know Caleb Swanigan whether that was even people like Dakota Mathias, you know, hopefully he was paying attention to guys who were probably not really at his, well, they weren't at his skill level, his athletic level. Scoring level. level. Or or just his, don't have his professional ceiling, don't have his, um, probably can't get to that kind of level, but we're still working that hard anyway, or maybe because of that we're still working that hard and saw the strides that they were able to make over the course of their careers. That's not, there's nothing about that that I worry about. Do you wonder just how he adapts to the NBA game or again, like you say, it's all about fit. Um, and it's all about timing too. It's, you know, again, who else is on this roster at the end of the summer? Um, who else is playing well at the end of the summer? Who's healthy at the end of the summer? A lot of X factors still to be decided as to, you know, what position he ends up at. But I also know this, um, by position, I mean, his, his standing in the league here as a rookie, whether he's, a Celtic or whether he's doing again that G league time. But I do know this, you know, Matt Painter knows Matt, um, Brad Stevens very well. Um, Matt Painter obviously knows Micah Shrewsbury very well. And this, that you would think that if there's one team that had the most insight into Carson Edwards, it might be the Boston Celtics. Now, whether that helped push them over the top, just from that, those, that familiarity or whether they were able to do even more due diligence and still felt confident to take him um, in all of the sort of, you know, behind the scenes, for lack of a better term, psychological stuff that you look into with, with potential players. 
the, the Celtics obviously were, were confident that um, he's a guy that fits for them. If they thought there were any red flags with him, they wouldn't, exactly. have, ta- they wouldn't have taken it. Exactly. There was, there's no stone unturned, I think, in this relationship just right. because all these guys know each other so well. They do, and they, they've, they've been honest with each other, you assume, over, over the years, and, um, and you value those relationships because Painter's not going right. to hide something from an NBA team, whether it's Brad Stevens or somebody else. That, that's important to say, yeah. too. This is Purdue's not a place... Purdue, I, I, I know this from talking to the scouts. That's a place where they trust what they're hearing from the coaching right. staff. And that's important because you got to have that trust with those coaches and uh, because their their jobs are on the line. And if yep. they feel like they've been burned or you don't feel like they're getting the truth out of these players, they're not going to come back to you and they're probably gonna, not going to take your kids. Well, yeah, because when you want to tell them the truth on the next guy, they're not going to believe you. Right. So and that's you know the positive I, truth. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Matt Painter is just in general a truthful guy when you talk to him, whether yes. <laughs> it's about basketball or about the Cubs or about anything else. He just he's just yeah. a kind of he's he's that kind of guy. It's yeah, it's funny. I was at a, a journalism conference earlier this week, uh, sports journalism. So it's a bunch of other sports editors and sports reporters that are there, and they find out you cover Purdue basketball, and they're like, "Oh, what's Matt Painter like to deal with?" I, I got that question maybe like a dozen times this week. And um, it's, you know, from you always answer it the way that you think another reporter is actually asking it, which is, you know, he'll tell it like it is. And um, the access is good. You can get a hold of him if you need to. He doesn't shy away from the press. He doesn't take out his petty frustrations on the press and uh, the media, I should say, all the media. Um, And yeah, and just from, like I said, from talking to other NBA people, I think Purdue is has a reputation just as they do in recruiting. They're not going to tell you what you want to hear. They're going to tell you what it is um and for for better or for worse and i think the same thing i think there's probably some guys who came out of purdue in recent years who got really glowing reviews from the coaching staff and there were others who say you know this is not not the, not this is a reason not to draft him but like this is a this is a thing you'll have to push him on right you're gonna have to you know here's here's where he's gonna go get it done on his own here's the thing where you're gonna have to motivate him or you're gonna have to change this thing in his game that we haven't been able to fix or whatever or haven't he hasn't gotten there yet either right. because of his himself or because maybe it was only a one or two year player and he hadn't got to that point yet well and the Celtics are not the only team that does this every team does this this is not unique to them right this is every team so even as much homework as the Celtics did on um, on Carson Edwards they probably did even more on Romeo Langford who they selected 14th overall right, and, right. Uh, you know Romeo did not have a good college basketball Season from a career, <laughs> career right. uh, one year type of thing, and here's a kid that had back problems and didn't play in the NIT and wrist, and wrist problems. Too. Yeah, he had who had a lot of issues. But again, they're going, you know, they're trusting everything they're hearing, right? And you know, and like in recruiting, you get a chance to talk to these guys and also watch them work out and and get a vibe for them to make sure that what you're seeing and what you're hearing actually is true and you don't take a guy that high in any draft without feeling comfortable that any whatever issues he had at Indiana if he had any at all or just he had some nagging injuries and just just couldn't get going in his only year of playing college basketball then you know they wouldn't I don't think they have taken him just because he's from Indiana and Brad Stevens coached the Butler this is not the this is not why this is not how these things happen they happen because they believe in the player and they got a role for him and they feel like they're going to help 
Romeo Langford and everybody else they picked, including Carson Edwards, is going to help them win games, um, whether it be this season or in the next couple of years. Yeah, the one thing I'm interested to see with Carson is how he fits on a team rotationally from a defensive standpoint. Because at Purdue, because they had Eastern jamming the opposing point, that took away what was the most natural physical matchup for Edwards, which would have been just put him on the opposing point guard. So that put him on more traditional shooting guard guys who were going to be 6'4", 6'5", 6'7". And that matchup, he he struggled with that matchup at times, I thought. Now, going to the NBA, if they use him as a scoring one kind of player, he gets that matchup more often against someone more of his own size. So that could be something beneficial to him at this next level. But the other... The other also could happen, whereas they're keeping him off the ball and he still just gets matched up with those 6'4", 6'5", 6'7", guys, except, uh uh-oh, they're now NBA guys. Um, So I think that's the one area where I think if he's he's being honest and people around him being honest, that's still, I think, an area where there needs to be some growth. But I don't think there's any question that, you know, whatever length the three point line is at the next level, he's going to, uh, he can, he can be, score. He can just flat score. He's going to have some, he's going to have some of those, those nights, um, probably a couple times a season where, you know, ESPN has a little clip of here's how many points Carson Edwards scored in two minutes or whatever in some just burst that he goes on. Cause that's the, that's the kind of player he is. He's, he's elite in that way. Now it's just going to be a matter of consistency from now on, but, um, he's got some time to, to, to build into it, too. I mean, he's a guy that's going to be at the end of your bench that you're playing a home game against, you know, pick an opponent, the Trailblazers, on a Tuesday night in January, and you fall behind by 15 points in the first quarter. Your building's dead. The fans are like, uh, let's get let's get ready for the Bruins game tomorrow. And, they, yeah. and then you put Edwards in the game, and he hits three threes. He brings some juice to your crowd, into your team, and it's a game you end up winning. Well, and he does that in a short period of time because that's the kind of minutes he's going to play. But he can be that kind of spark for you. He's not going to do it every night. It just it's not it's not feasible to do that every night. Sure. But that's the kind of early role that I see him in is okay, get in there and do what you do. Uh, you know, try to defend somebody, but also get us a bunch of baskets yeah. and uh, get us back in the game type of thing. That is his primary role. And the other thing to remember is NBA substitutions, for those who don't watch a lot of NBA, I'll admit that I don't necessarily watch a lot of NBA, but this was something that jumped out at me the first time I was really watching it, like, you know, live in, in person. You know, how the, the substitutions aren't really, they're not like a hockey line change, but they're almost closer to that than they are the way substitutions happen at the college level, where you always have two or three starters on the floor. And you're just sort of mixing one guy in at a time. It's it's a little bit more closer to being like a first second unit kind of thing. So what the Celtics I think have done in this draft was was some pinpointed things to even if they keep that first unit intact through free agency or just replace some guys, how if you raise the floor on what your second level is. And I you know this is a team that I think is going to be probably right there in the mix. There's some really good teams in the East now. I mean obviously Toronto just won a world championship. Milwaukee's, uh, you know, really good. There's some other good teams out there, um, and but you know, Boston, I think should be challenging again to be in the upper half of that division. So, well, if you he, look to the rotation thing you're talking about back uh, when the when the Bulls had Jordan and that group, and even you, if you watched any 
and again, I'm not a big NBA watcher, but you can almost time it when the superstars take their breaks. And yeah. and that's how it kind of works. And everything evolves around the superstar when they take their break. So if, if Jordan's taking his break with two minutes to go in the first quarter and he's not coming back until the second media timeout in the second quarter, as a coach, okay, you got to figure out those minutes, yeah. where they, who they go to, how my – how right. am I manufacturing? Who, what starters do I still need on the floor? Who's going to come off the bench? And through the long grind of an eighty-two game season, you that kind of fits. I mean, you can. I just remember watching those games. It's like, well, Jordan's going to go out in about a minute, and he goes out in about a minute. Mm-hmm. Well, he's going to come in about two minutes. Well, he came in about two minutes. Yeah. It's and it, it works that way throughout the whole game. So if Carson can fit into that window where he's playing with some starters, but he's also going to be a key piece coming off the bench, then um, he'll be fine. He just, you know, the one thing I worry about him is he's trying to do too much in a shorter period of time Yeah. where, okay, I got to, I got to do something right here. Well, he, he's got to, ha- he's going to have to have some patience because um, he's no longer the center of attention. He's no longer the guy that everybody's going to stick the best defender on. Right. They're not going to respect him early. And even if, They've they've watched his highlights. They they know what he did in the NCAA tournament at Purdue. I mean, if he ends up making a team, making the the roster from the get go, you know, there's going to be eight year veterans in the NBA. It's like, who are you? Well, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> somebody somebody the other day said to me they didn't think Golden State was a realistic potential landing spot for Carson because he doesn't pass the ball. And you know, who you on that you team does? You don't want him. You don't want him taking Curry shots. And I'm like, well. First of all, he wouldn't be on the floor at the same time as Curry very often. I don't right. think that's the point True. here. Yeah. That's that's what he's being drafted for. Right. He's being drafted to be your little Curry off the bench. Not to, I don't mean that derisively. Just the next Curry off the bench. The he he would be him. the guy that you 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 don't want that drop off. Right. If Curry's hitting threes, you want the guy that replaces him still to hit threes. Exactly. And on top of that, though, I think people forget um, going into his sophomore year when Purdue played in the World University Games. Carson also went to the thing that Trevon Williams just got picked for, the U-19 World Cup team. The team was coached by John Calipari, led that team in assists. Um, now, again, that may have been a situation where it's all relative. That team may not have been passing the ball very much. But he played a different role for that team than he's asked to play for Purdue, especially this past season. As much as I was one of the people writing about how he had a pretty long stretch of inefficient offensive play this year, that was still the role that Purdue wanted him to play. They he wanted him taking play. a high, high, high volume shots. He needed to play that role. And exactly. I do. Th- I believe that Carson recognizes that there's another way to do this, that he may be asked to do it another way. Um, he may also understand that that makes the most sense, that that will help a team win if he is ready to take the shots but doesn't have to be so much of an alpha about it at this next level. Now it's just a question of because it seemed like there were times this year at Purdue where that was also the case, and I don't think it clicked in. I think he he maybe was slow to recognize it or just played through it, whatever. Because there were times this year that when he was the more passive is not the right word because he's still aggressive in the offense, but when he's when he was a distributor, when he was a facilitator, as much as he was a scorer, that was the best until the NCAA tournament. Those were the best examples of offense that Purdue played all season. So if he, I think that is within him to to be that. Um, but I think it's it's going to be what he decides to be. And I think if he embraces that, there, there's a potential for something pretty special to be there as far as probably immediately as a bench player, and maybe he can grow into something more. But uh, certainly 
regardless, there, there's a there's going to be a window here where he can go in and make shots at the next level. No question. And uh, if he doesn't embrace it, then he's going to find himself on another team. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, his role is going to be what it is early on. I mean, it's just that's just the way it's going to be. And the quicker he embraces that, and you hope that he's matured enough, he has smart people around him, and he's going to be willing to listen. I mean, he seemed, you know, I guess later in the year, you know, listening to the coaching more than maybe yeah. early in his career and earlier this year. I don't know if that's fair to say, but that's that's just something I maybe picked up on. I mean, he still did his thing. He still was going to take his 30-footers. He was still going to come down and pull up without running the offense or whatever play Painter called down in Louisville, whatever yeah. Utah or Jazz, and then it was like one pass Carson shot. I go, right. well, that's a that's a heck of a play. <laughs> uh, there was a there was a high school basketball <laughs> coach around here that used to always uh, he'd call a play it would be five, and you knew that meant their star player just went down and took a shot. Like that was literally the the only thing that was drawn up. He just dribbled across and shot it. Well, I, and it happened but, a lot. But it just seemed like he was in tune more to the coaching later this I, year. And maybe no, just I agree. the whole sense of urgency of. This is it. He, he knew he was leaving. This was going to be his last year type of thing. And you got a team playing for a regular season championship. You got a team playing deep in the NCAA tournament. So those those kind of traits just kick in automatically because you're 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 trying to keep your season alive and you'd let you want to get to the final four. But uh, you know, as long as he listens and and understands his role, I, I think he'll be I think he'll be fine. He's he's talented enough that he's, he, I think he's going to be a valuable asset to the Celtics or somebody else, as long as he's willing to accept what, not accept his role to the point where, oh, I'm just a bench player, but accept, you know, accept what happens early and then work yourself into a bigger, a bigger role as the season goes on or as your career goes on. The Purdue player that, the former Purdue player that Matt Painter most referenced when ever talking about Carson Edwards was Etwan Moore, who was another guy, you know, big time scorer at the college level, not not to Edwards's level at least, but he also didn't take the volume of shots that Edwards did. We um, also had who else he had on his team? He, he, <laughs> yes, that, no, that's a factor too. <laughs> yeah. That's why he didn't take the volume of shots that, that Carson did. And if Carson was playing next to with Jawan Johnson and Robbie Hummel, he probably wouldn't take as many shots. As, uh, I think he would have. <laughs> he might take as many shots as he did as a he junior. He would have got to make them, and he probably would have been told. <laughs> he, he took he took a lot of shots as a junior, but he took even more as a senior when he <laughs> right. didn't have right. this, quite the same supporting cast. But anyway, that's the guy who gets compared to a lot, and um, that's a guy who had to go in. He was a second-round pick of the Celtics, um, played a, a, a supporting role for a while, and um, now is a – not only a respected player in the league, if he's not a star, but he's at least a respected player, established player in the league, and his great-grandkids probably never have to worry about money. So there's a path here, even though I, now Edwards is, has some a different body, and it I don't it, I the beholder how much you think that's going to matter, I guess. There are different kinds of players, but um, there's a path here for, for him to establish himself in the NBA, even as a reserve guy, and carve out a long, lucrative career for himself what's it eight years now for each one something like that. i thought yeah. i saw him tweet 2011 out. was his draft class so. i thought uh, i thought i saw him tweet out something the other day about can't believe it's been eight years since the since he was drafted and um and he's 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 with the pelicans mm-hmm. all right so he he got a nice pickup in the draft 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, he's, you know, um, let's see. 20, yeah. The ninth season was last year. Okay. He was, you know, he comes in, he does, he's plays 38 games as a freshman, doesn't start any of them. And, you know, two years ago, he played 82 games and started 80 of them. So, uh, and like I said, now he's, he's a regular guy. He's, he's a, he's a guy who has a place in the NBA, um, an established real place. And mostly he's been a bench player, but like I said, it's still a lucrative gig if you can get it, especially if you go, if you go do what he did, play on some Bulls teams and be known as a guy who's coming in and contributing to, you know, a team that can do something. Um, that's the window I think I see here for Edwards. You come in and you show yourself to be this productive, um, reliable guy off the bench on a team that's winning a bunch of games. I think that helps your your uh, your name as well. Enhances your brand, as they say. It's what the uh, I want to say. That's what the young kids say, but I think it's what the older people say now because they've been brainwashed by the younger kids. Exactly. <laughs> it's the it's the latest buzzword, right? Well, moving on from uh, professional sports to back to college sports, the the college <laughs> soon to version, be professional sports. <laughs> well, <laughs> depends on how you look at things, I suppose. But the uh, the the college football version of the draft, sort of, which is recruiting. Um, they should and, just have a draft. The worst team should be able to pick the best players, and they have to go to that school. Ooh. <laughs> You're gonna have some guys picking different lines of work. Probably you're gonna. Oh well. You're gonna have sixteen year olds who uh, do what uh, what's his name did and just take a year off and go get an internship or whatever. Okay. Well, that's that's your choice. Maybe maybe they should try that for one year and see how that works. So so like you know I don't know who even the number one recruit. So like when Randy Moss comes out of high school. Then uh, you know Bethune Cookman or you know whoever is at the bottom of of even one A they should get him first. Yes. What about the one double A kids? The the F F. Well, but uh, you know the one double A is like the G League. They don't get oh they don't get uh, they don't get to they don't get to play in the process. Okay. All right. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> um, maybe this hasn't been fully thought no, out. It hasn't. <laughs> come back next week. We'll have all the answers for that. Um, but you know last year was. June was a huge month for Purdue recruiting, and it's kind of played out that way again. And 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 I kind of wanted you—you you could kind of maybe discuss the dynamics of what people are seeing now. The people who follow either you on jconline.com or follow on Twitter and see—it looks like this big explosion of recruiting, which it both kind of is and kind of is not, because it's just this is the time of year where people tend to commit to football programs and accept scholarship offers. But but some of it is also by design the way the Brom staff wants to enhance their brand Correct. if we're going to go ahead and stay on that right. topic. Well, this all really started when they moved up the uh, signing period to December. Right. So that shifted everything. That means official visits happen earlier. Unofficial visits happen earlier. The whole process happens earlier where – you know, the last three years, or at least the three years that uh, Brahman and staff have recruited, you know, the first two years, they got a total of 25 commitments in the first uh, two seasons, two, first two Junes that they were here at Purdue. And then, uh, well, we've added five more this month. So 30 in, in three years. So you're, right now you're averaging about 10, 10 commitments every June, which is a high number, but if you would – if you go back to the old calendar where signing day was only one time in February and then backed everything up, you would probably be getting those these same commitments in December and January. 
mm-hmm. because that that was the time for official visits. That was the big time because although schools do do some official visits in season, a lot of them don't like to do it because there's just so much stuff going on. Uh, they like recruits at the games, but to to spend the the amount of time that you want to spend with a recruit, it's, right. it, it makes it a little bit more difficult. So, and, and their schedule is also messed up because they're playing football Friday night. They don't right. get there until Saturday morning. Right. So you're a lot of people are just they're making a quick trip in. They're bleary eyed. They don't right. You know, it, it, sleepwalking at times. You just you just you just trying to 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 jam that forty eight hours. And to make it something special, at least in the summer, in June now, and you can start official visits in April, April first. So from April first to the end of June, you can. It's a little bit more relaxed. It's a little bit more. It's still structured, but it's it's relaxed, and it's a it's a heavy it's a heavy period because you're you're still trying to do a lot of things in in the in the forty eight hour window. But but since everything got got moved up, June has now that month where a lot of kids are just now deciding or want to get it out of the way because they don't want to take it into their, their senior season, knowing that signing day is in December, that you don't want to be caught um, at the end of Thanksgiving or December 1st with no school because everybody's board is filled up now. Yeah. You know, you know, as he's, you know, and that's, that's this kind of part of the game. You know, there's a, like with the uh, NBA draft, there's a, there's a pecking order there. I mean, there's a, they have guys listed on their board that um, are ranked whatever one through what you know hundred. Same in recruiting; they're all ranked one through whatever, and they're going to take the guy they value most first if that guy wants to come, and then they just get moving down the board. Um, but June has become the month, and it's good in a way because there's not a lot of things going on in June, so you get that you get that extra attention yeah. uh, a little bit but it's, it, it's happening everywhere it's just not Purdue um, and I know people are focused on Purdue and that's that's fine but um, they've, they've had a good run of it uh, the first three Junes that this has been in place and you know they're they're calculated in you know how they want these commitments to happen too they want to make sure they're getting the best guy they want to make sure that guys are visiting maybe have been here multiple times just not they're coming in for an official visit, and that's it. A lot of these guys that Purdue is getting, and this happens elsewhere as well, um, they've already been here on an unofficial visit, whether it was maybe to a game last fall or maybe during spring practice uh, this year. But then they come back for an official visit. You know, they get a little bit, a few more of the bells and whistles that you normally don't get on, on an unofficial visit. Um, and that kind of wraps up the package as far as what what they want. But usually when you're bringing somebody in on an official visit, you are you're close to wanting that kid to commit or um, you want that you really want that kid in your program. So, you know, a lot of it is just things have sped up. You know, kids are deciding earlier now that they just what they want to do. Um, and a lot of that is just um, coaches are offering their scholarships earlier and all that kind of stuff. So it's a it's an interesting dynamic to follow to see the change of how it how it's happened since they moved up the uh, the signing period or at least now that we have an early signing period and the February one still exists but it's not it doesn't bring the attention now that the December one did and also uh, what's happening in the in the month of June. 
Right. So there are two. They have five in the last week. Five players, five different positions. Two that I wanted to kind of touch on real quick because I think they're the ones that maybe get the most attention. You know, quarterbacks tend to commit in June maybe more than any other player. I mean, that those commitments sometimes happen earlier than others. I mean, there's a lot of competition for those spots. Teams want to lock up their quarterbacks. Purdue got a kid from New Jersey named Michael Alamo. Am I pronouncing that correct? Alamo? I don't know. <laughs> you just have to spell it. You don't have to know how to say it. Um, if I'd ever talked to him, I could I could find that. But he's he's failed to return my okay. request. Um, but a a you know an interesting dynamic in college football recruiting to me is you're taking a quarterback in like every single class. You are, and some of those guys ain't gonna play. Correct. Uh, and that's why you see a lot of transfers from quarterbacks. I think because you know they've you know they don't win that two or three person battle. And you see an opening somewhere else to try to go, you know, because you see you've got no path to playing time. So, um, but this is a guy that won't even obviously be here till till next fall. It's it's too early to start maybe looking at those sorts of things. But um, anything you know about him as far as just how he fits in with what the Brom, what Coach Brom and and the staff wants from a quarterback? Well, he, he's the size that they've recruited six four, six five. Uh, he's probably got a little bit more weight on him. Than maybe the other guys that they've recruited, he's not as you know. He, not like talking about like a Jared Lorenzen. No, no, no. Uh, but he's a big, he's a bigger guy. He's a, he's a um, thicker guy, I guess. Okay. I uh, you know. In talking to his high school coach, you know, he says he's going to be a guy that's going to be hard to tackle. And I think this won't happen every year with Purdue, but I think it. Although he is listed as a pro style quarterback, which is which is considered a drop back kind of guy, but he has the ability to run. And I think it won't be every year, but I think Purdue will probably look closer at dual threat type of quarterbacks, guys that can use their feet along with being able to, uh, to have that strong arm and be able to, to stand in the pocket and make the throws, but also escape danger, get out, make a throw on the run or two to, to keep plays going. You have, you, Purdue has assembled the weapons on the on the perimeter with Rondell Moore and David Bell and Milton Wright and whoever else they're going to be bringing in. So you, you need a you need a little bit of a mobile quarterback there uh, to make some plays. And I think uh, you know this New Jersey kid is going to he would seem to have those uh, intangibles that um, that that the Brahms were looking for. But you do usually get a quarterback earlier than the um, the end of June, although Paul Preferi, who committed last year, I think committed in June. And uh, I'm trying to think of when Plummer did. But usually the quarterbacks are usually the first ones to go. Yeah, that's what so, I was yeah. kind of insinuating. Yeah, They're so the first ones to pull the June. trigger, and then things kind of fall into place after that. And they've, they've had a handful of quarterbacks in on visits, unofficial and, and official visits. Um, you know, this kid came in, it would have been Monday of this week, and uh, it was it came down to Purdue and Michigan State, and he, he pulled the trigger for uh, for Purdue. So I, I don't know if there was the one standout guy in this class that Purdue was. We have to have him type of type of guy. Um, I think there were a lot of maybe guys that were equal, or mm-hmm. everybody had a flaw, but this guy stands out a little bit more. And, and if or, they, or it's who takes it first. Sometimes. Yeah, who, yeah. It's, some of it is you know who 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 says yes first. And it's I, like you know, I think one A, one B, one C. Who wants it? Well, and I think in this case there were 
I, I, I'm, I know for sure there were multiple quarterbacks kind of in the loop until the very end. Mm-hmm. And this kid, you know, this kid was the one that said yes. He's got, you know, I asked his coach, I go, I've seen some pictures of him. He's got blonde hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's an all-American kid when you look at him. He's got the <laughs> wavy blonde hair, and he's big and tall, and he, he could play all three sports if he wanted to, but he's focused on football, so... I guess he's the, going to be the poster boy for <laughs> for the cradle of quarterbacks one year, if, if he can get there. But you know, ideally, you're you're spreading these guys out where he he's going to come in, he's going to redshirt, and then you you hope you have a space of at least two years between him and that would probably be um, not to skip Paul Preferi, but <laughs> between him and Jack Plummer, mm. uh, and then everybody kind of gets their opportunity. Now, the wild card in this whole thing is Sindelar. Because yes. he does have that sixth year, he can he can come back next year. Uh, but I, you know, I think he, I think he'll have a good year, and I think he'll go, and then that will open it up for for Plummer. Then you're into, you know, then you're trying to space those things out where a guy knows he's going to get his opportunity, and you've you've got to have multiple guys on the roster because we've, well, you know, we've seen David Blau ankle turn the wrong way, right. and you know we've and we've watched Purdue benefit from having two quarterbacks ready to go. And as you look a little bit at this season, I know we don't want to get into it, but you know how much does Plummer get some playing time early in the year just to get him some experience in case you're going to need him in game four, five, or six down the right. line? Yeah, you'd prefer his first real touch not come against you know Wisconsin in the fourth quarter with the game tied and send the largest <laughs> turn an ankle or whatever. Like you know, right. you want him to be a little less green than that. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I'll be curious how. How they manage that situation this year? Uh, there are some programs that'll put a guy in in the third series just to get him, get him some reps. And I think Brom maybe talked about that in his first year or so, but he's also competitive enough that he's not going to. Well, right. He talked about <laughs> running the ball more too, but that, you know, yeah, well, yeah that's, <laughs> that's, that's 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 no good. Just <laughs> just throw it, just throw it. But yeah, it's uh, you know they've got some key pieces here. They got the key running back. They got a you know on paper they got a really solid running back from New York. I was going to bring him up, la- yeah, but last Tyreek Murphy from same part of the country, New York, yeah, right. And um, you know the other day they got a, a nice six two receiver from from uh, Round Rock, Texas, uh, Colin uh, Colin Sullivan, um, who has some um, has some athletic ability there to go up and make some plays. Um, and and again, I think you know Purdue has done a. Purdue will, under Brom, will do a, a good job recruiting quarterbacks, skill pl- skill players, receivers, probably tight ends. And, you know, so far they've done, I think, a good job recruiting the secondary. You know, maybe, you know, time tells on the defensive line, but uh, to me they've got to – they really have to recruit well on the offensive line. They still – to me they haven't yeah. proven anything from a yeah. recruiting standpoint. And until they get that and really linebacker too, you know, they got a grad transfer coming in right. this year, but and one last year too. That's really their big two additions, right? Linebacker, and they're going to they're going to continue to go the grad transfer route because they they'll need to. But what I'm more interested in watching and recruiting over time is how they build the offensive line. Yeah, and I don't think they've. Um, I don't want to say they haven't started yet, but. It's not, not that, it's not that much of it. It's not that different than the previous tenure, right, frankly. Right. And then until you know, we see what happens this year on the offensive line, 
because there will be some of the kids that they have recruited that are going to have to play. Um, you know, you withhold judgment until you see this, but I, I don't think they are. I think they're behind schedule. If you would, if they would be truthful as far as what what they've been able to get on the offensive line. Now, this 2020 class is supposed to be the class that kind of brings the offensive line into the forefront a little bit more as far as bringing up the talent level. But you're really not going to know that until two years down the line because guys just don't come in and play immediately on the offensive line. Yeah, it's a very common redshirt position, yeah. Um, As far as with this running back, you know, you mentioned before we were just sort of joking about how pass-heavy Brom is. Do you think that affects what he looks for in a running back, either guys who are better hands or guys who are more inclined for for pass pro? Like, is it more? Is it still just about how well they run the ball, or do you, do you see him looking at, at other attributes beyond what maybe a a more conventional running team looks at? Well, I, I think he do want. I think he he does want to run the ball. I mean, he knows the value of running the ball. But as you just said, the offensive line may <laughs> preclude that to some extent. But, you know, I as much as, you know, you you get on the offensive line, the first two years of his tenure, the offensive line has been okay. Yeah. It hasn't been horrific. It hasn't been great. But it's been steady, I would say. And they've yep. been able to, to close out some games running the ball over in his first two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have a bigger presence in the backfield, a bigger back, and this this kid's a bigger back than maybe what they've had, um, then that gives you ability. It gives you the ability to have a stronger running game. But yes, it, it starts with the offensive line, and that has to get shored up. But you're, I guess, you're bringing in an athletic guy, a, a playmaker type of guy that can make some plays either in the running game or a guy that you can get the ball to in space through the passing game. And and move the ball that way a little bit, yeah. You know, I, I but I do believe he wants he wants to be able to establish the running game. You have to. I mean, that's just all coaching and in order to win because you can't become one dimensional. But the higher level of talent you have, the more abilities you have to make plays. And if and if this kid wouldn't work out or whatever, I mean, he's going to move receivers into the backfield. And they're going to be, quote, running backs. Yeah. <laughs> and I would probably look for some of that this year uh, as well because they're not they're not really deep at running back no. right now. And they don't have a lot of – you know, Tarot Fuller is your most experienced guy coming back. He hasn't stayed healthy the right. last two years. You've got two freshmen that you really don't know what you have until they, they get in there. And you still have Xander Horvath who, you know, is the people's choice but really hasn't done – you know, hasn't had the opportunity to do a whole lot but not sure how much he can do. And if he's, and if all these guys are trying to perform behind a makeshift offensive line, then it's going to be uh, it's going to be a problem. We'll follow him, Mike Carmen, on Twitter at Carmen underscore JC. There'll be more recruiting news coming. Like you said, maybe even as early as next week, uh, some guys coming in for for visits or or who may be committing. Uh, follow me on Twitter at InBairJC. Going to keep coming to you with uh, the latest on Purdue basketball. They've started. Uh, summer workouts um trayvon williams heading to greece pretty soon to play in the fiba u19 world cup so uh, a lot of news coming uh, from both of these programs through the summer so uh come back to us next week on boilers extra download subscribe 
uh, rate us, send us uh, your comments, send us your questions. Uh, we want you guys all to be a part of the podcast. And until next week, we'll see you then.